Alright, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 6. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Holy Spirit, it is only by your divine power that we can truly come to understand the words of this book, the words of your entire book, Father, and understand your love and your passion for us. And so I pray this morning that you would lead us into that place of understanding and and draw us near to you, Father. I ask that you will step in and show us truth today and heal us, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, your memory verse, you may, if you'd like, repeat after me. I am my beloved's, and His desire is for me. Now, what do you think, Cheryl? If I had said that about you, do you think people would have believed it? I think with that amount of enthusiasm, people might have wondered. So let's try it again and understand what it is that you are saying. I am my beloved's. And His desire is for me. And this is not just a memory verse. This is the good news. Is it not the gospel of Jesus Christ that I am my beloved's and His desire is for me and He has proven it through His love? He has proven it through His death? On the cross, His resurrection to life, and after His resurrection, His continuing to want to draw people into a love relationship with Him. I am my beloved's, and His desire is for me. Now, I want to pause this morning in our study through Song of Songs, and I want to talk to the guys, primarily. Ladies, feel free to listen in. Some of this I know will apply to you as well, but I want to begin by asking the men of our fellowship a very important and honest question. Are you comfortable with the Song of Songs? Or, do some of you feel like you've been duped into a chick flick? (laughs) Like the title of the movie sounded cool, and about halfway into it you're going, I don't believe this. It's one of those romance, is this a kissing film? You know? Are you comfortable with the Song of Songs? For several years now, and I want you to think about where we've been As a fellowship, however long you've been here, since day one of this fellowship, we have been going through the Word of God. And we have seen the awesome power of creation. We saw the flood, the plagues, the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. Marvelous things. We've seen great battles in the conquest of Canaan. And we saw the bloody days of the judges. Oh man, what a messed up book. If you really want to get freaked out in Bible study, go study Judges. Because it is a bloody, cool, man's kind of a book. (laughs) We saw the wars of the kings. And the captivities of of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And even in the wisdom literature, that more poetic section of scripture, we've heard from men like Job who was in crisis, dealing with loss. David in his distress and his faith after God's own heart. Uh, Solomon deftly preaching about life under the sun. Lots of great, tough, hairy man talk, you know? And you ladies have been very patient, and I appreciate that. We got to the New Testament, we've covered some things there as well, right? The book of Matthew, where we consider Jesus as King. Yes, King Jesus, I can bow before Him. 
In 2 Timothy, we spent a weekend considering Paul, the mentor, passing the baton to his apprentice, his protege, young Pastor Timothy. In James, we heard from Jim Crouch as he taught through that about getting practical with faith and working it out. You can listen to all of that on the website and Revelation. Oh, don't forget the book of Revelation. All right, This is a book of devastation and destruction and violence and a king's return. And I want to see that movie. That is a guy's book if ever there's been one. But suddenly, there's perfume in the air. Love songs wafting gently on the breeze. Flowers blossoming. Chambers, kisses. There's even a lattice. (laughs) What's a lattice? The Daughters of Jerusalem Chorus, they burst out singing, la la la. In fact, you know the whole song is is sung. This book is sung from verse 1 to the very last verse. It's, It's a choral arrangement. It's like an opera, but without Viking helmets and cool horns, you know? And we come to this place and suddenly, and if that's not enough, to make a man a little uncomfortable with the whole genre, there's a greater challenge. Guys, somehow we are supposed to relate to the bride. What? Yeah. In this most romantic, most intimate, most personal book in all Scripture, (laughs) it's no wonder that I think some guys would say, just let me know when we get to Isaiah. How am I, a man, supposed to be comfortable with this? How am I supposed to relate to this? A practical, problem-solving, bitter-done kind of a guy. How does he approach the Song of Songs? How am I supposed to picture myself in verse 6? Look at it. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. Tell you what, high five, Jesus, yeah. (laughs) On the flip side, I mean, that's about as... How do I do this? You know, when I first read through the book, I told Cheryl, you know, I can relate to the group. In fact, I even told her, I said, come here, come here. And I put my left hand behind her head and I put my arm around her waist and I went, yeah, I like this. This is good. She's like, stop that. (laughs) I can relate to the groom. I get the groom. The way he holds her, the way he loves her, the way he's passionate for her, the way he is faithful to her. I, I get all that. That's a great picture, a great example of how a man is supposed to be in a marriage. But I'm not the groom. I'm not supposed to be the groom. That place is reserved exclusively for Messiah, for Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to relate to the bride. And I can almost do that if we're talking about the larger church. That's cool. That's cool. The church as the bride. I get it. You know, I'm part of the body, the larger church. It's kind of like we call uh, ships she, you know, or cars. Yeah, she's a great car. You know, or some of my guitars I could refer to in the feminine. And so the generic church is the bride of Christ. Cool. I, I can roll with that. But when it starts to get personal, as Song of Songs does, when I am struck with the fact that I am supposed to be in the persona of the one who is the lover, the feminine, the bride, how do we do that? Gentlemen, how do you gaze longingly into the eyes of the groom? (laughs) Now, I've had some questions arise about this from more than one of you guys. 
And some interesting conversation. And so I've been thinking about this this last week. Some groups would tend to just emasculate Scripture. Let's just do that. Let's just take out all male references to God and make it easy for everyone. We'll just make Him gender neutral and solve the problem. Right? Wrong. Because if you do that, you've just destroyed the identity of created man. And you've assumed you know better how to express God than God Himself. Because whether you like it or not, God has expressed Himself in the masculine as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is also referred to as He. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we're told after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. God presents Himself, His Son, and His Spirit as He in the masculine. And that was God's choice to do it. He did not express Himself as, and some of you know this, I I don't like the book The Shack. I don't like it. I have big issues with it. I won't get into all those, but I don't like God being personified as a large black mama. Because that's not what Scripture shows us. That is not how He has revealed Himself. Well, I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry. But I didn't write Scripture, and I wasn't the one who decided how God was going to present Himself to the world. You might say, yeah, but but God's Spirit. So why if God is Spirit, does He express Himself in such a masculine way? Well, I don't, I don't fully understand everything. All I know is I was made in him, His image, <laughs> and not the other way around. And some ladies might say, well, I was made in His image true. True, you were. You were. And I'll, I'll uh, talk about that in just a minute. So I don't believe the answer is just to take all of the masculine out. I also don't believe the answer is in what others do in our culture, tragically blur and cross the lines of the sexes. Making the distinctions between man and woman uh, less than they were intended to be by, again, our Creator. I think of Neil Patrick Harris. Really liked him when he was Doogie Howser, but I've watched where his life has gone. He and his... He and his Husband adopting a child, and I think, how is that okay? Or Ellen DeGeneres, or Chaz Bono. Many reject the natural created order of the human body for the unnatural. And all judgment aside, listen, God created us male and female. The very natural form of our created bodies says that we are to be distinct. And the tragic byproduct of blurring the lines is we have an intense amount of sexual confusion in this culture. Young people, young men, young women, girls and boys, not sure because they're opened up to other opportunities that go outside of the created form that God intended. But what about in the church? In the church, the pushback against homosexuality and and gender bending has a lot of guys feeling like we can't show affection for other men at all. When we've gone to the other extreme saying, "Uh uh-uh, I am not going to be like the world, therefore I will high-five a brother, but the the long embrace, like I sometimes get from Jim Crouch, you know, it's just too much. (laughs) I totally kid. But but guys, have you ever kind of felt that way? Like, okay, so we just just say no to any kind of appropriate male-to-male affection. Well, I don't think that's right. Still others just operate in avoidance mode. Just ignore it all. Don't deal with it. Don't look at it. Have nothing to do with it. 
And so we wonder why so many men have trouble looking Jesus in the eye, getting face to face with a passionate, loving Savior. Brothers, I think we need a healing of the heart of man. And I would ask the Lord, as I've already prayed once this morning, I will pray again that God would heal our hearts. Men in this fellowship. Showing us how to be the kind of men that we're supposed to be. I think this song is the right prescription at the right time. Given by the right physician. But listen, our physician doesn't come to us wearing scrubs. He comes to us wearing a tux. And it is by design. So I want to encourage you guys this morning. And ladies, again, there's application for you. But guys, I want to encourage you. God is not trying to make us soft and sensitive. He's not interested in a bunch of feminized metro men in the church. What he's looking for is man as man was created to be. So guys, be a man. But be God's man. Be like Jesus. You have the ideal, the perfect man there before you. To emulate, to follow as an example, to pattern your life after. Who would dispute that Jesus was more manly than any man who ever lived? How many men ever calmed a storm? That's awesome. I mean, that's that's earth-shatteringly awesome. Be quiet! Okay. <laughs> like the apostles, I would be face down in the water, in the boat, you know. Incredible. Who here has ever gone head-to-head with Satan in the desert for 40 days? No. Jesus is the perfect man. He's also the most balanced. And in fact, I've said this to be before to you ladies, that He's the ideal for both men and women. Now ladies, your ideal is not Mary Magdalene or, or Sarah or, or Mary the mother of Jesus or Phoebe or any other woman of Scripture. Your perfect ideal for how to be, listen, the perfect woman is Jesus Christ. And I don't say that undermining His masculinity at all. It's just that Jesus is the perfect person. Showing us everything for both sexes to understand how we are to relate to God and who we are to be. He was tough. A carpenter by trade, attracting the likes of fishermen and zealots. And yet He described Himself as meek. Jesus spoke with absolute truth. And He was absolutely tender. He commanded vast crowds, but He also called little children to His lap. We see Him fearless with the establishment and shaking like a leaf in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was shrewd and yet allowed Himself to be betrayed. He fought injustice except when it was leveled or aimed at Him. He was fully God. He was also fully man. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God, one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So, bottom line, if you want to get to God, you've got to go through the man. And He the man. Jesus is the right man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And I read about, and I think about, and I consider Jesus, and I say, I want to be that kind of man. He's my ideal. He's the one I want to be like. And yet, back in the Song of Songs, He is the man. And I'm the bride. He's the groom. And I'm supposed to be in this other position and I don't know what to do with that. What do we men do with our position in the Song of Songs? Let me make three suggestions to you this morning. 
Three suggestions. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. Verse 1 of chapter 2. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. We talked about this Wednesday night. I need to draw back a little bit to pull you all into the same place if you, if you weren't able to hear this. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. And some of the old hymns, some of the newer songs, on posters and bumper stickers and Bible studies, you probably have heard this verse over and over ascribed to Jesus, but I'm here to tell you I don't think it is. I don't think this is the groom singing that he is the rose of Sharon or the lily of the valleys. I believe it's the bride. And this is completely different than I used to think. That Jesus is not the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. This self-description is of the bride, and the context seems to indicate this. Check it out. Go back a few more verses to verse 16 of chapter 1. The bride is singing, How handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. The beams of our houses are cedars. Our rafters are cypresses. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. This is the bride. And the context is this woman singing about how she feels on Solomon's couch, in Solomon's home. She's looking around and she's saying, I'm just a lily. I'm just a rose in the valley of the Sharon. I'm nothing special, is what she's indicating. We take it the other way. Oh, the rose of Sharon. You know what? The Sharon Valley is covered with roses, literally crocuses. And covered with lilies. It's that area in Israel that runs from Caesarea down through Netanya, Tel Aviv, down to Jaffa or Joppa today. And it is the most fertile part of Israel, the Sharon Valley. To be a rose in the Sharon is no big deal. To be a lily in that valley, there are lilies. Remember what Jesus said? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. (laughs) They're all over the place. And she says, that's me. I'm just one among the many. There's nothing special about me. Now, it's wonderful that by this time in the song, she already has a better self-image. At least she's comparing herself to a flower. You know, so she's, he's turning her around a little bit to see her value. But she still says, I'm just one of so many out there. It's a humble description that she gives. And the groom turns around and he immediately exalts her. It's beautiful. She says, I- I'm just the Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valleys. Like a lily among thorns, he says, so is my darling among the maidens. What does that mean? It means every other maiden pales in comparison. They're all thorns compared to you, my love. You are unique. You are beautiful. You are my one and only. And so she humbles herself and he exalts her. Does that sound familiar? Jesus says, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And it's what we see going on right here. Gentlemen, listen. If we're going to understand what it means to be the bride, we're going to have to learn how to respond with humility first. We're going to have to be able to set aside machismo and bravado. And even if you don't really have that stuff, even if you're a pretty balanced guy and you don't have to be all tough or whatever, you still have to set aside that sense of pride that tends to go with being male and humble yourself before God. That's step one. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you, James 4.10 tells us. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Which may, by the way, not be your time. The proper time. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. (laughs) Casting all my anxiety? 
No, 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 no. I got it. I'll take care of it. You know, they can all be anxious. I will be cool. I got it covered. No, you don't. You can't handle it. You can't take care of it. You can fool yourself for a while, but ultimately you will discover you don't have what it takes. Men, humble yourself. Humble yourself. I know this may sound a little bit sexist, but I think the ladies tend to get that a little easier than the guys do. I'm not saying that there aren't arrogant women in the world, but we guys tend to have a corner on that market of arrogance and, and pride because we're taught we have to be that way. But what Jesus does is come along and says, you know what, meekness doesn't mean weakness. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus said in Matthew 11, and you're probably familiar with this, these two verses, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right there, that indicates he's the strong one. You can rest, I'll do the walking, I'll do the carrying, I'll do the lifting. You rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentle and humble. That's Jesus' description of himself. I'm gentle. The Greek word is praus. I'm gentle. Or some translations say, I am meek. But the Greek word praus is a horseman's word. It describes a horse in the field at rest. But inside those gentle, restful eyes of the horse is horse power. (laughs) There is strength in there. They can run like the wind. They are powerful animals for work. And Jesus says, that's that's like me, praus. I'm gentle, but I'm also strength. You could say strength under control. Strength under control, that's me, gentle. But I'm also humble, tapenos in the Greek, which means unpretentious. Unpretentious. What a beautiful description of Jesus. He's controlled, he's strength under control, he's unpretentious. Why? Because he knows who he is. He doesn't have to play games. He doesn't have to be, pretend to be something he's not. He simply is who he is. And a godly, strong, unpretentious man is not going to be worried about being in the position of the bride. Why? Got nothing to prove. I know who I am in Christ. I know my relationship with my Lord. Call me what you want. Put me in the place you need me to be. Wherever you want me to be, I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to address one thing quickly here. I was asked last week if the bride's statement about feeling common in verse 1 could be her way of saying that she just feels like one among the many brides and concubines of Solomon. I hadn't seen it that way. I thought, oh, interesting. She says, I'm the rose of Sharon. I'm the lily of the valleys. And he says, like a lily among thorns. So is my darling among the maidens. And maidens is the key word. Maidens is Alma. Virgins. So that wouldn't include his wives and concubines, would it? Now you are unique among all the pure virgins that I've ever seen. He says, you, you are the only one. You alone are special. But it does raise a concern that some of you have shared with me about the Song of Songs. Namely, what do we do with Solomon and his part in the song? Solomon who had 700 wives. I mean, let's call it what it is. 300 concubines. The man was a fleshly guy. He knew carnality. He told us, didn't he, in Ecclesiastes, he tried it all. He experienced it all. And I have some saying, well, yeah, so how do I take this womanizer seriously? Oh, I'm supposed to read a love song written by Solomon? 
who had all these wives and you know goes and gets this, this bride and perhaps just adding her to the harem, how do I take him seriously? How do I know if he knows even how to express true love? you got to get this, gang. In fact, if you miss this, if you don't get this, you're not going to get the song. And if you don't get this, not only will you not get the song, but you may not get Jesus. If you approach it carnally, that is, from a flesh perspective, you'll miss it. Song of Songs is God-breathed. It did not origi- listen, it did not originate in the heart of man. It originated in the heart of God. This is not from Solomon. This is from Jesus. And we need to see this, understand it. We talked about it last week. This book is inspired, authoritative. It's messianic. Solomon was the pen in the, in the hand of God. He was an instrument in type, if you will. A precursor, a picture of the coming Messiah, but he is not the Messiah. He, he makes us think about Jesus as the son of David, as the king of peace, as the one on the throne in the times of peace of Israel. Okay, so there's a picture there, but he's not Jesus. In the flesh, spiritually, we see a type in him. And so to understand this song and especially our place in the love call of the groom for me, his bride, I've got to, number two in your notes, first was uh, respond with humility. Secondly, i got to reject the flesh and receive the Spirit. With this book and with our lives, reject the flesh, receive the Spirit. When the Samaritan woman was there at the, at the well of Sychar. And she was drawing water and Jesus comes up and sits down and He begins to talk to her. She's shocked, a Jew and a man talking to me, a, a Samaritan and a woman. This is really strange. And they begin having a conversation and if you track her in the conversation, she is talking to him from a carnal perspective. She is coming at the conversation from a cultural perspective. How do you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? And she's trying to figure him out. Do you remember what he said to her? John 4, 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And he wasn't talking about Sunday services. He was talking about our very approach to God. How do I come to God? How do I get to know God? You've got to get out of the flesh. Reject the flesh. Receive the spirit. You come to God in spirit and in truth. Remember I told you last week the rabbis don't allow young men to read the Song of Songs until they turn 30. It doesn't, it's not because they get all turned on. It's because they would get all confused. It's because the rabbis recognize that if you come at the book and you read it carnally, you will not get it. You will not understand what's truly being said here. Think about how Jesus commissioned His apostles. It's after the resurrection and He gathers with them in one of those many meetings across 40 days. And He says to them, John 20, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I apostle you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, which means he had to be pretty close, right? He breathed on them and said, Receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. This was before the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2. That would happen about 10, 15 days later. In this moment, Jesus is indwelling His Spirit. It's marvelous. Giving the guys His Spirit. 
I want my spirit to be with you. You gotta approach life spiritually. You gotta approach this song spiritually. And please understand, when we talk about spiritual, we are not talking about something vague and esoteric. I think we've shared this before, that spiritual things are more real than physical things. Spiritual things are more real, more tangible, more actual, because they are eternal, whereas the physical will pass away. I love the description in C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Great Divorce, and I've shared this with you all before. In The Great Divorce, they go to this, this fantastic bus ride to hell and to heaven, and when they get to heaven, they step off the bus, and he says, it was like my feet hurt, and I looked down, and the blades of grass were coming right up through my feet, because I realized grass was so much more solid than my foot. And it was his way of trying to describe, trying to explain that spiritual things are more real than physical things. So to receive the Spirit and reject the flesh is not to become less of who you are in Christ, but more. To go further with Him. And you can't do it unless you receive the Spirit. And so we have to approach this song in that way, as intended, in the Spirit. The embrace of Jesus is what's being portrayed here. And by the way, the embrace of Jesus, that picture of His left hand behind my head, His right hand around my waist... That causes my flesh to shudder. (laughs) Really? I don't like that. My skin says, I don't think so. If I was walking out of here and Glenn grabbed me and put his hand behind my head, and (laughs) I'd be like, dude, you are out of here. (laughs) My flesh hates that thought, but my spirit, listen, my spirit longs for it. Not with Glenn. <laughs> My spirit longs for that kind of closeness with Jesus. Guys, don't does, isn't that true? Don't you want to be so close to Him? But it, it's it's the cultural stuff. It's the wounds of our manhood. It's the stuff that goes back years, and we don't know why. But but just that whole closeness thing is difficult. Yet we want it. I want to be in His arms. I want to be close to Him. I want to be so intimate that every thought, you know, and I'm hearing Him and I'm responding to Him and I'm walking and every moment I'm just with Him. And in my spirit, man, I get that. It's in my carnal man, my flesh man, my soul man that I, that I miss it. C.H. Spurgeon, in one of 52 sermons he wrote on this song in the book, The Most Holy Place, He said, the fact is that Christ Jesus the Lord is present in His church by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is this day the representative of Christ in the midst of the church and is the power and the energy uh, of the Holy Ghost that Christ, it's in that, that Christ is with us always and will be even to the end of the world. Give us the Spirit of God and we will ask no endowments from the state. I like that. No sigh for the prestige of princely patronage. Endow us, O God, with the Holy Ghost, and we will have all we need. That's all I need. I've got to approach spiritually. So, I come to Him humbly. I'm receiving spiritually. But there's more. The Song of Songs is also, some of you know, called the Canticles. A canticle is a little song within a larger song like a chapter in the book. And depending on how you view it, there are at least five or, or probably six. I think there are six canticles within this song. Well, how do you know that? Because as the song is written, there are choruses that complete passages. You go through a passage, you get to a chorus. And then there's another passage, and you get to a chorus. 
That happens at least three times in the song. In the first canticle, in the second one, and in the third one. And they all end with the same chorus. And in the chorus, there is an absolutely amazing truth that is emphasized and re-emphasized and even further re-emphasized in the song. Look at verse 6 one more time. Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Skip to chapter 3, verse 3. The bride is out looking for her groom. She's afraid she's lost him. He's gone away. She's she's desperate. She's racing through the streets of Jerusalem to find him at night. She says in verse 3, The watchmen who make the rounds in the city found me. Then I said, Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I left them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held on to him and would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house and in the room of her who conceived me. Verse 5, the groom says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. The chorus is sung again. But note this, the word at the end of each of these two choruses is she. Until she pleases. It's the third person singular feminine of the word. It's she. Some translations, and some of you have the NIV, you're reading from that. NIV uses the word it. As though the groom were saying... Don't arouse my love until it pleases, if you know what I'm saying. You know? Don't arouse my love until it pleases, until I want to be aroused. If it's the groom singing that about his own love, why is he singing it to the daughters of Jerusalem instead of to his bride? That sounds a little weird. Hey, ladies. I mean, that's not what he's saying, is it? It's not it. Others, the uh, King James, for example, assigned the word he, as though the bride is singing here, and the bride is saying, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or hinds of the field, do not arouse or awaken my love until he pleases. So that would indicate that he's asleep. But in the verse before it, we see him holding her, his, her head in his left hand and his arm around him, her, and, and he's asleep? I mean, how would that be, hon? <coughs> Sweetheart. <laughs> You think she'd stand there and go, don't wake him up. Don't wake him up. He might drop me, the idiot. (laughs) No. No, the groom is softly singing to the daughters of Jerusalem around, don't wake her up. He has her in his arms. And you know what? It's just the picture that we get through that first chapter. We come to the end and the bride is just overwhelmed. She is enchanted with her husband or with the groom. She, She passes out in his arms. She swoons. And he grabs her. And in this moment, he looks around and says, Don't wake her up. Don't, don't wake her up. Not yet. Let, let, her, let her rest here in my arms. Let her stay. What an amazing moment of intimacy on the part of the groom. He wants her to stay. He doesn't want her to go. He doesn't want anybody to wake her up. He is enjoying the moment with her. He doesn't want her lured. He doesn't want her busy. He doesn't want her off doing ministry or hurrying to take care of life's business. He just wants her to stay. I really wonder on Sundays, when we have had a time of worship and fellowship, I really do wonder sometimes how God feels when we all just go... 
Not physically, but spiritually. When we just quickly get back to our lives and He's going, that was great. I wish you didn't have to go. Don't arouse her. Don't awaken her. Precious people, men and women alike, listen to this. If you are having any trouble at all with the affection of Jesus, more than anything else, I think what you need to do is number three, remain in His embrace. Remain in His embrace. For how long? As long as it takes. As long as it takes for His love to overcome your issues. As long as it takes men to learn how to be the bride. But there are a couple more things that we should know in remaining in His embrace. First off is that the embrace is not a chokehold. I mean, what man would do that? Some have, and they ended up in prison. You know? Love you, hon. Don't go away. No, that's not it. The embrace is a gentle, loving embrace. How do you know? Well, because he says in verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles or the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love. What's that mean? The gazelles, the hinds of the field, the deer? Gang, he's, he's drawing a beautiful picture here of animals that symbolize freedom. They're not fenced in. They're running and dancing and springing about on the hill, on the hillsides. And he says, this is how I charge you. Like the hinds of the field. Like the gazelles. Don't, don't draw her away. But she's free to go. When she pleases. Don't wake her until she pleases. You know what that tells us? You don't have to stay. You don't have to stay in the embrace. You're free to run. You can remove yourself from His embrace anytime you want. That's cool. You can do that. This is love, not rape. And Jesus never forces His affection on anyone. It's always there. He is always there to cradle your head in His hands, to wrap His arms around you, and to love you. He's always there to do that, but He's not going to force it on you. Some men are going, (laughs) Good. He didn't force His affection on Israel, did He? In fact, when He came, His heart broke for Israel. And in one of the most passionate moments in the Gospels, and and you got to see it in the context, He is getting after the Pharisees, as He so often did. But He's really getting after them. Woe to you Pharisees! You go out to make a proselyte, and when you do, you make him more a son of hell than you guys yourselves. (laughs) What? He's just laying into them. And you can hear the anger in His voice and the frustration that He has. And then, and I love how this is played out in in, there's a, a movie, I think it's just called The Gospel of Matthew, but it's a movie that was made about Jesus. And the actor in the movie does an amazing thing with this scene. All the woes to the Pharisees and the drums are beating in the background and he's pointing at them, he's yelling at them and all of a sudden he just breaks and falls to his knees and cries, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you that from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As a mother hen draws in her chicks right to the chest, draws them in close. And did you catch that? Jesus didn't say, you will not see me again unless you say blessed is the name of the Lord. He says, until. 
until you say it. It's your choice, Israel. You know his arms are still open for Israel? You know he's still waiting? He's still ready to embrace his people? Longing, looking forward to the day when they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he will embrace them yet again. And it will be stunning. And it's a promise. And my friends, just as his arms remain open to Israel's embrace, so his arms remain open to you. He is not going to force you in. But he will hold you as long and as much as you want to be held by him. He will be with you, present with you, as much as you want to be present with Him, but He's not going to force it. But there's something more extraordinary to me in this single verse. The embrace is not just what you need, not just what I need. It's what He desires. He wants it. Jesus wants it. He wants this embrace. Let his left hand be under my head, she sings, and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Chapter 3, he says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, verse 5, by the gazelles or the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse my love until she pleases. Look over in chapter 8, verse 4. In verse 3, she sings again, Let his left hand be under my head, and his right hand embrace me. And he says, I want you to swear, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Don't do it. You will not do it. I want you to swear that you won't do it. And every time the groom seems more emphatic as he embraces his bride, don't come between us. You will not come between us. I I want you to swear not to come between us. You know what this says? Jesus really does want to embrace you. And that's the side that, that I often don't consider in our very selfish approach to spiritual things. Selfishly in the flesh, this whole morning has been about me. Or this whole morning has been about you. Did you enjoy worship? How was communion? Are you moved and touched by by the teaching of the Word? Is it doing something to your heart? Stop for a minute and recognize that Jesus Christ is here because He wants to be here today. And He wants to be in a loving embrace with you. He wants the physical affection, the spiritual affection. He wants to hold you in His arms. His choice. His desire. That's remarkable. It's astounding. Guys, let me give you a picture of a godly man's embrace. Search the scriptures a little bit to find what what is just what this is talking about. A guy being the bride, a guy in the embrace of another guy. How do we see this? Well, there's a picture. A little snapshot. I'm pretty sure the Apostle John took it with his iPhone. And he, you know, sent it across the years, tweeted it across two thousand years. How do you know that, Rick? Because it's in the text. Anyway, I'm describing it this way on purpose. I want you to see a picture. Don't hear a verse. See a picture. Some of you this is real easy for. Some have trouble seeing a picture. Get the picture here. John 13, verse 23. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Get the picture. It's the Thursday night of his betrayal. 
They're there for Passover. They're gathered together around the table. It's probably a triangular, low table, low to the ground. They're laying on pillows. Jesus leaning this way. And John leaning this way. And the Bible tells us, John himself, John the Apostle, writes, the disciple whom Jesus loved was leaning his head right up against Jesus. What do you think Jesus was doing in that moment? <laughs> kind of like you're in the airplane. You ever been in that situation? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're sitting there and everything's good and, and some big, hairy, overweight guy leans in and he's sweating on you. <laughs> I'm like, bing, snortus! <laughs> no. You... Was his arm around him? I don't know. I know John's head was on Jesus' bosom. The Greek word kolpas was used there and it's to be in or on the bosom of someone. Literally to be in His embrace. John gives us a snapshot image of Jesus embracing His brother. John the Apostle. I mean, this is remarkable. Jesus' best and closest friend leaning in to embrace Jesus. And I've looked at that picture many times before and I've always thought how secure and close and protective and appropriately affectionate John was toward Jesus and how cool that would be to be John. I had never before considered the fact that Jesus was in the embrace too. How did Jesus feel having John leaned up against him? How did the groom enjoy this aspect of his bride leaning into him as he spoke the words, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may also be. I'm going to come get you, bring you to myself, like the groom would bring the bride. Incredible. We fall into his arms. We rest our head against his chest. And he says, shh, let him stay a little while. Let him stay here. Let her stay here, close to me. You know, it's amazing. If you go back a little bit further, John 1.18 tells us, No one has seen God at any time. But listen, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. I've always spiritualized that. But in the, in, in the context of what John says later on about reclining on Jesus' bosom, suddenly now we see the Son in the bosom of the Father. What is that? It's the Father's embrace. Jesus and the Father in an embrace together, a loving embrace together. And I think of little David. And it's like, guys, maybe this will help a little bit with the whole affection with Jesus. David, you know, I, 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 three, four nights a week, I get to put him to bed. And we have a little rocking chair in his room. And same with Naomi. But David, I can still pretty much scoop up and hold in my arms. And his little fuzzy head right here. You know, and and rocking him, and nine times out of ten he falls asleep. While I'm rocking him, he is the perfect child. <laughs> but you know what happens? He falls asleep, and I'm not ready to put him in bed yet. I rock him another five minutes just for me. For me. When Jesus comes to you and says, I want to embrace you, men, it's as much for him as it is for you. Now, you need it. I need it. But he wants it. He desires it. Jesus said in John 15.9, Just as the Father has loved me in that embrace, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. 
Abide in my love. You know, if you took those three words out of the Gospel of John, they would fit perfectly in the Song of Songs. Abide in my love. That's how close the groom wants his bride to be. And so, it's the best thing I can tell you. I tried, I prayed about this. I thought, is there further that I can take them? Can I explain this embrace more? No, I, I don't think I can. Remain in the embrace for Jesus' sake as much as for your own. And gentlemen and ladies, if you have trouble accepting the affection of Jesus, if it is truly hard for you to, to slip into His arms, to even imagine or feel His left hand under your head, His right hand wrapped around your waist, if you, if you can't see that, remain in His embrace. What do you mean? Stay longer. Stay with Him. Be faithful. Don't give up. Keep walking with Him until He breaks through, until you realize and recognize what it means to be in the affection, the affection of Jesus Christ. I don't know how to heal centuries upon centuries of male and female hurt and the wounds of sin. And gang, they range all the way back to that day in the garden. Our messed up lives and our messed up consideration of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and how to walk together in loving affection and godly spiritual embrace, we we have trouble with that. And we always have, and it's because of sin in the world. But I know this, that the embrace of Jesus Christ heals all wounds. The embrace of Jesus strengthens all men. Comforts all women. It helps even the most confused among us. And so, the best thing I can tell you today is remain. Remain in His embrace because that's where He wants you to be. Oh, he loves us that much. Jesus, we don't have words to express what this truly means to us. We don't even fully grasp it. We long to, Lord. We long to accept the position that You've called us to, to be in the loving embrace of our Savior. To be held fast and close and safe and protected in this world. And to cast away all of Western civilization, especially our, our preconceived notions of what is right and, and wrong in relationships, and, and just to lean into Jesus. And Lord Jesus, Your Word is astounding to us and stunning I pray it will have impact on our hearts at a deep level this morning. Only Your Spirit can do this. And so, Lord, I pray over the whole fellowship that we might receive Your Spirit. Even as we respond, Lord, with humility. And help us remain in Your embrace, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.